Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tallon. This is the Creative Innovation Podcast in collaboration with the National Festival of Making. How are you doing, everyone? Are you good? Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking in. The weather this week is Woken Ghosts because we've got Martin Ware coming up doing exactly that and we'll get into that shortly. So cheers for checking in, thank you. I hope you enjoyed part one of this three-episode special collaboration, as I said, with the National Festival of Making, which is an awesome, great project uh, in Blackburn, second annual event going on, celebrating the industry, the creativity, uh, the the overlap of manufacturing and arts, and there's so much going on, really engaging, exciting stuff, and I'm delighted to be a part of it. So thank you for coming back. I hope you enjoyed part one with Nicola Ellis at Ritherden in Darwin. Absolutely beautiful collaboration. Um, go back and listen to that if you missed it. Paying heritage to the to the, you know the uh, the rich heritage behind Ritherden's journey uh, going over a century, approaching 125 years in fact. Um, and Nicola, contemporary artist, making sculpture. Um, oh, go back and have a listen to that episode because it's a wonderfully rich, heartfelt, inspiring story. If I may say so myself, uh, and I hope you all agreed. So cheers for the feedback. Thank you for the love. Cheers for coming back for this one with Martin Ware. Quickly, a little, spon- a little sponsor thank you. Illustrationweb.com, heartinternet.co.uk. Regular show sponsors. Been here since the beginning, so thank you very much because it would not be possible to do this for free for you guys. Um, massive thank you in particular for this series, uh, for the wonderful and crucial help from the Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England because they've worked closely with myself and the National Festival of Making to make this a possibility. Uh, And that's a real joy and I thank you greatly because it's great to be a part of something so wonderful and engaging. So cheers. Uh, Thank you so much for that. Go and check those guys out if you've got projects of your own and you need some support because you never do know. Um... So as I mentioned, Martin Ware. So who is Martin Ware? Uh, Shame on you if you don't know. (laughs) Wonderful musician, producer, um, arranger, uh, music programmer. He does a lot of awesome things. Uh, In total, including his producing, as he'll go on to tell us, he's sold over 50 million records with the likes of Tina Turner, um, Erasure. Very, very talented guy. But we're focusing on this awesome new work with his intriguing company illustrious so illustrious create as martin describes sonic murals soundscapes um it's so abstract and emotionally stirring i'm struggling for words because it's a really powerful experience if you go and experience one of these projects which they've been doing since 2000 i believe um and Martin will tell us why he broke away from his uh, iconic work with Human League and Heaven 17 to go on and do this. Um, and he talks about the creative soul and why he had to do this for him. He couldn't sell out to anyone anymore. They're the words he'll use. So we're going to get deep into that. So for the Festival of Making, as part of the Art in Manufacturing project, um, which sees seven of the UK's most adventurous artists working in residences with Lancashire's premier industrialists. It's a deep, wonderful, ambitious project, which I think has been a resounding success. Um, And Martin is going to tell us about his project with Illustrious. They went into Tony's Ballroom in Blackburn, an iconic Northern Soul venue. It's also got a lot of other rich history and it's been closed for a long time now. So they were allowed exclusive access into the venue to go and create this amazing soundscape 
And alongside that, they've collaborated, and in his amazing, amazing project, um, they have collaborated closely with manufacturing places around the region. So Silent Night Factory, for one. Um, they go into bakeries, wallpaper factories. Martin is going to get deep and tell us all about that collaboration. But it's a truly inspiring thing, and... He's going to tell us about how the process happened, why they chose that venue, why Blackburn, why now, why Northern Towns. We're going to talk about his heritage in the Sheffield steelmaking industry, which his father was a part of, and why did that uh, play an important part in this project. It's a really, uh, it's a real bearing of the soul from Martin Ware, and I felt quite honoured to be there, to listen to this story, to sit and to take it all in. Um, so, you know, a legendary home of Northern Soul, all-nighters, um, and the story is it's laid nearly in touch since its closure in the 1990s. So yeah, without repeating myself, it's going it's to go on and get deep into that. So the venues, um, I'd just like to say look, thank you to, on behalf of the National Festival of Making, for, for collaborating on this. As I said, there's a silent night factory, the WEC, the Cherry Tree, Cherry, Cherry Tree Bakery, uh, Graham and Brown, and Dow and Terracotta. So they've all come together and they've given their thoughts and... And Martin has um, sat down and talked to the workers there, basically, and, and, it, and he's looking at this angle of the working week and that release that we would get, in particular going to Tony's ballroom, um, and letting go, really, uh, you know, really just embracing the weekend and, and the lifestyle and the dancing and the Northern Soul dancing, and we're going to talk about all of that stuff because it's fascinating and it's iconic and it's very... Um, representative I think of a lifestyle of, of working in, in some of these manufacturers so we're going to talk about all that stuff um, Church of Rare Souls that's the project title and I think it says a lot so without banging the drum too much Martin needs to do the talking here so a huge thank you to Martin Ware for giving me his time to talk about this awesome project big thank you for National Festival of Making for the trust to do this to go and talk to such a, a talented man and, and to bring you this story Um and do check back in for the third episode. Get us your feedback over at Arrest on the Mix on social media. And please, uh, at Fest of Making on Twitter and Facebook and at The Festival of Making on Instagram. Get the feedback over to all of us. We want to hear from you. This has been really exciting and it's going to continue to be uh, in the third episode coming up very soon. So without further ado, you find me in Martin Ware's studio, Illustrious HQ down in King's Cross in London, finding out the dirt and what was going on. So thank you for all of that. Uh, Grandly appreciate it. illustrious, Enjoy. we've done quite a few things about manufacturing, funnily enough. Um, I mean, 12 years ago, we did a, a, an installation based on a week's worth of going into factories in Sheffield, for instance, but trying to capture the sound of, like, little mester shops and, mm. and like, uh, guys who create, you know, uh, pen knives from scratch. In forty minutes, yeah, you know, and the sound of all the grinding, the buffing, and the, and then silversmithing and and drop forging and everything. I'm just fascinated with it all because I grew up with it all in Sheffield. I was going to say that's your roots, right? And you yeah. am I right in thinking your father was worked yeah. in the steel? He did. Yeah, my dad worked in uh, Joseph Thompson's on Town Head Street in Sheffield, which was a tool making firm. Which, in the world of jobs you could get associated with the steel industry, was probably the most skilled in terms of physical work mm. um, and he was always very very proud of his 
his work. He was a big trade unionist. He was a shop steward and all that as well. Uh, but he, he was. I remember him going on about his micrometer was his proudest possession. It was a lot of money, you know, buying yeah. those things in those days for them. And like, oh, we were, you know, we're working to less than two thou and all this, you know. And um, and now I realise, because I understand it all, how skilled. It wasn't just a job they could give to somebody for, you know, mm. minimum wage. Uh, although they weren't getting paid that much, but you know, it was a skilled job, and he worked there fifty years. Yeah. Mm. Uh, just talking about Blackburn for a second, because we went around five different factories, and um, normally I've been asso- it's been associated with like the steel industry with me or heavy industry, but um, this time it was ranging from like Silent Night to WEC, which is like a big industrial hardware, you know, kind of like CCTV poles and stuff mm. like that. But also uh, then Cherry Tree Bakery, who does loads of muffins and stuff, and and uh, who else was there? There was a couple of others. Anyway, but they all had oh, wallpaper manufacturers yes. we went to. And just mind-bending amounts of focus and concentration and, and a lot of skill involved in in things like the industrial, the uh, the kind of architectural faience manufacturers, the the you know like, um, architectural ceramics, mm. they've got, you know they've got all the manufacturing thing, but they've also got, um, like like fully full time employed sculptors. You could go in there and draw something and say I want something in three D that looks like this, or give them a piece of clip art and they would manufacture it in three D. Like a real artistic sculptor would, mm-hmm. to your specification. I'm going. This is just mental. You know, I had no idea. The other thing that impressed me was, you tend to think that anything on a large scale is pretty much automated now. That's the, and it's not the case. Mm. You go to, for instance, Silent Night Factory. I was amazed how many people there were working, yeah. uh, as opposed to the number, the amount of automated processes. So much of it was handmade, and uh, and talking to the people who run the place, they're going well. Really, they feel a bit of responsibility to provide employment, and I'm going, wow, this is quite enlightened. Yeah, you know, because the rest of the world, it's all about cutting jobs, isn't it? Yeah, and cutting hours. I just don't think it's a good idea. I will not when I go to a supermarket. Do an automatic checkout. I will always go and use the people because I don't want to lose that. It's also about this kind of slavish belief in big data as being the way forward. Yeah, I think it's really insanely dangerous. To me, it's almost like the Antichrist. Yeah. I, I, I think you cannot reduce human existence, creativity to big data, nor should you even attempt to do so. God, no. And that creativity, you need creative creativity in the industrial process mm-hmm. or else you, you'll end up stagnating because the thing that um, analysis doesn't inform you about is new ideas for the future because none of that is sub- none of that is possible to analyse because you haven't thought of it yet yeah. so it, you know anyway a lot of things occurred to me when I was going around all these places and looking at the pride that's a cliche, but the pride that people have in the work they do. Yeah. Uh, this not part of this project actually. We did another industrial-based project with Sheffield at Forge Masters, which is one of the biggest 
still one of the biggest um, forging, uh, steel forging uh, places in the world. And um, it was mind-bending. It was like Wagnerianly impressive. And uh, not so many people on the floor. Uh, a lot of that is automated because it's extremely dangerous work, a lot of it. I mean, you're talking about 50 tonnes of pouring metal, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, amazing stuff. But they, they, um, the, the people involved in that were very proud of their work and very proud of the heritage of the people who maybe given their lives or at least got maimed in that work. Yeah. You didn't have to talk to them for more than about a minute before it got brought up in conversation. And then when we were going round and we were looking at putting this exhibition on in Sheffield, it's now going to be on in South Wales, we've already done the Sheffield one called Power, um, we were looking at maybe getting some physical objects that we could show, and they said we were going around the, their kind of scrapyard that they had, or uh, and bits where they had offcuts of of the processes that they'd done from you know offcuts from fifty ton ingots of steel, <laughs> right? And some of them were like magnificent sculptures. You couldn't make it up. They the forms they had and everything. I said, oh, we'd love to have some of these in our. Uh, in our exhibition, said, "Oh, you can take them." Wow! Just giving you giant one-ton <laughs> blocks of steel. <laughs> and anyway, in the end, we couldn't use them because we couldn't find a way to get them into the exhibition <laughs> without yeah. dismantling the entire place. But they were fantastic, and if we could, if we could do it in like I don't know the Tate turbine or something, it yeah. wouldn't have been a problem. But it just shows that there's a lot of generosity of spirit in the north, in particular. So, I mean, just just to rewind a little bit, and so, so I'm really curious about the the origin of your interest in in the soundscaping process because mm. I find it incredibly fascinating. My interest in, shall we say, futuristic sounds, I think, was based on the sounds that I heard in the city when I was growing up, when I was young, of the forges and the sound used to reverberate down the valleys and everything, wow. and um, infrasound as well. I now know it. Uh, as the very very deep stuff, uh, some stuff you couldn't physically hear, but you could feel. Mm. And um, I mean, we lived four miles away. You wow. could still hear it. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's quite distant, but I mean, present. Yeah. Um, and then, if you walk through the city centre of Sheffield, it was it was smaller engineering shops, but the sound of steel grinding and the smell of it as well. So it's a very experiential thing quite unusual that a city centre of any description has that amount of manufacturing in it and I, we li we always lived near in various places near the city centre so it was just an everyday part of my life so I think my love of unusual sounds came from that mm. I also think my love of futurism came from happening to grow up in in the kind of the space the, the, the space race time yeah uh, where it, everything was looking forward and it was all about the excitement of the future and the year 2000 you couldn't imagine, mm -hmm. right? It seemed unimaginably distant and uh, very catchy, you know, yeah. 2000. Yeah. I'm going to be alive when when it's, you know, 2000. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, the way it was painted then must have... Must have right, it, it was amazing. And so everything was about, A, we were very, very poor. Lived in a two-up, two-down house with... Yeah, my mum and dad and, and, and uh, four siblings, four rooms, mm. and an outside toilet. You know, that that poor. Um, and later on, we moved into council houses and stuff. So it was about being in the gutter looking up at the stars, essentially. 
you know, I that's why I think when you when you come in from a very low base, and I've seen this since then. I've travelled a lot and been to very poor areas with various organisations that I work with. I mean, like townships and stuff like that. And there's some of the, you know, they're either completely trashed on on drugs and drink, or they're some of the happiest people I've ever met. Hmm. Because you react one or two ways to it. You you either you know you go well, I can't get any lower. Let's have a go. It seemed entirely normal to me to 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 you know when people like rock music came along, or even going back for earlier than that. My sisters, who are all uh, my two sisters and my brother, were older than me. They had big record collection, and I was fascinated with Motown and 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 kind of like this starting to have like little weird noises coming into productions and synthesizers and mm. theremins and uh, you know the Beach Boys and all that stuff. And I was always attracted to that kind of thing. And then when somebody like Rock's music comes along, and you got something as exotic as Eno coming along playing a VCS three, and you know, and this was I thought this is for me. So, I mean, to take it. So, what with Illustrious then? So, what was was there a decision to to be to yeah to be that? You know, produced a lot of people, and sold fifty million records with uh, primarily Tina Turner and Terence Trent Derby, Erasure, and various others of you know, and, um, and Heaven Seventeen, of course, and Human and I could have gone on doing that work. Um, through the nineties, but what what was what was happening towards the, in the second half of the nineties was the kind of work I was getting offered as a producer, even though it was well paid, was getting worse and worse. My style of production was very much based around a kind of auteur thing, where I'd go to the record company. Look, I don't care. You know, I'd like you to employ me. If you don't want to employ me, that's fine as well but you cannot interfere in the creative process because I'm trying to establish trust with the artist that I'm, I'm working with. Uh, they know what they're doing. I know what I'm doing. You've got to leave us alone to do it. And that th- people wouldn't accept. Uh, as you got further along, it was all like about marketing and stuff. And the kind of the kind of jobs I were getting offered were very much like boy bands and kind of X-Factor type stuff. And I thought... In fact, one famous, um, I'm not going to name names, but um, one famous, um, very famous page three girl who was signed up by a record company uh, commissioned me to uh, create a cover version, um, an electronic track for her, you know, a dance track. And I, I thought, oh, I know what I'd like to do. I'd like to do a Georgia Moroder style version of Atomic by Blondie, which I did, and it sounded fucking awesome. Anyway, she came in, and she'd had the track to listen to, and uh, and and an hour backing track um, beforehand. She'd agreed the key, blah blah blah. Came into the studio to record. She'd had it for a month. Came in, and said, "I said, oh, you know, you've been rehearsing to this. Oh no, I'm not really had a chance. I've been a bit busy. You know, I'm going. All right, that's a good start. Okay, no worries." Um, do you want to go away to the green room and have a quick listen to it? And you know, don't expect to. You know, you got we printed the lyrics out. You know the lyrics. She didn't know the song, right? So she said to me, um, "Martin, would you come into the 
to the uh, vocal booth with me and if you could sing each line and I'll just repeat it. Oh. I and and I said no, I'm not going to do that. You got to bear in mind I've spent my career working with some of the best singers on earth. And said, yeah, but the other producers I've worked with have, uh, have done that. And they just fix it, you know, with, like, auto-tune. And I'm going, that's it, I'm out. Uh, if this is the way forward, I'm out. Yeah. And that, at that point, I had an epiphanal moment. I was talking... I, I, I stayed friends with... Um, with um, with, uh, with Vince Clark after, work, after producing his album. Uh, I say, I say, I say. And... Um, and I said, look, Vince, do you fancy... I want to start a new company to do what I thought... I, I want to re, I want to re, get back to what got me excited about music in the first place, was doing some, something that's kind of future-facing. So I thought, to me, immersive sound was the future. So to cut a long story short, we formed a company called The Illustrious. Hmm. We had access to this software, which was built for the National Centre for Popular Music in Sheffield. Uh, but our, our 3D sound auditorium that we... That would create a content for was very good. So uh, we we had this software. We made a couple of albums which came out on mute, um, and um, then I started doing. Uh, we started doing um, immersive. I got fascinated with how how this would work in a public environment and and outdoors and art art installations, museums. Mm-hmm. I, I became an evangelist for it really. And not just our technique, just uh, just immersive sound in general, and how underappreciated it is, and mm. the potential for it. And since then, I don't know if you've seen our website, but we've done oh god, yeah, hundreds. Yeah. So yeah, all over the world, right? all over the world, yeah. and uh, continue to do so. So I'm very driven by artistic um, mm. imperatives, always, and more great integrity also to to make that decision instead of taking the fast cash because. A lot of people would, you know, and, and and I couldn't do it. I don't know if it's something that certain people just, just something would die inside me if I if I wasn't pursuing something that felt real to me. Yeah, and no, it's part of the whole kind of integrated artistic world that you create. I mean, I could have, you know, I keep saying to people, look, I might not get paid as much as I would have done otherwise, but all I've got left is my reputation now. Hmm. I can earn enough money performing live with him, sent and various other things. I don't sell my soul for anything anymore. I, I, I just, I'm lucky. I'm not on the breadline, but I'm not rich. That's fine by me. Yeah. If your day today is filled with magic, you know, then yeah. surely um, that's what matters. I think, you know, I just think it's funny to me when people go, oh, they get to. Kind of, I'm, like, I'm 61 now. It's like they get to a certain age and they start going, better start thinking about my legacy. And I've been thinking about my legacy since <laughs> I was 21. At that fork in my career in the late 90s, if I'd have said, well, you know, I need to pay the mortgage, I've got kids growing up and they've got some blah, 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 you can always justify shit, right? Mm. I would have... The problem is, even if I'd have had, say, a number one hit with something, with some X Factor thing, then you become known as the person who did that, and then people come to you to do that. And I'm going, yes. I was just staring down a barrel. It doesn't matter how much money they give you. Yeah. Literally, money cannot compensate for being miserable. So let's talk about art and manufacturing. So when, yeah. um, 
What, I mean, why did you why did you want to do this? Because it struck me as an interesting, fascinating project. Um, what was the brief? Um, well, actually, it's funny because Eleanor Gifford contacted me because um, we worked together. She was working as I think as a freelance for um, Liverpool One, uh, where I did a huge project, won won a massive award for. Um, where we did a soundscape for um, Liverpool One shopping area in Liverpool. And she she was impressed with what we did for that, which is a very much a public-facing kind of, I call it sonic muralist kind of art for the people thing. Mm. Um, and um, they've been running this, uh, this, this festival for a few years now, and they normally engage in visual artists, but she'd remembered this particular thing we did in Liverpool and uh, said, would you be interested in creating a soundscape? Soundscape. I said, "Well, it's ironic. So we just literally finished doing another one about manufacturing, which was this power project thing that I did with two other artists, which was just on in Sheffield earlier this year." And um, I said, "Yeah, we've we've actually done this. We've done more or less the same procedure before in Sheffield. We created a um, a." Uh, soundscape for the Millennium Galleries, the V&A Millennium Galleries. This is about fifteen years ago now, um, where we went round loads of uh, factories and recorded that uh, the, the the immersive sounds and the um, and and the reminiscences of people and the human stories behind it all. And that's, and that's how we pitched it to Festival of of Making, and they loved that so. Mm. Uh, but then the Northern Soul. It was when when they uh, Eleanor took. I went up to Blackburn. And she showed me various places we could have done the installation in, including the cathedral and the, there was an art gallery. And, uh, and then she said, well, "There's one more place that I think I've been keeping it till last. It's a bit like location, location, or whatever it is. That, <laughs> yeah. You know, they, you know, like uh, <laughs> or you know, find your place in the sun or whatever." Yeah. So I think you might like this one. It's an old Northern Soul club, mm. and I'm going. I don't. I don't even. You can forget anything else. I want to do it there. I've not even been there yet. <laughs> you can ask her. I said no. We're doing it there. I don't care what it's like. Yeah. We're doing it because what we do is all about kind of reanimating the ghostly activity of, uh, pre- of the previous life of places. Mm. So anywhere we do, if it's not a neutral space like a an art gallery or, or a public space. If we do interiors, we always try and find something that's had a previous life, um, like an old, you know, a, a an old shop or a, an old factory or a, or an old warehouse or mm. something that's had human activity, yeah. evidence of it, and ghosts. That's what, right? That's, I'm, I'm equating that to to ghosts, really. Yeah, ghostly activity. So what we're doing is waking the ghosts of the space. Mm. That's essentially what we're doing in Tony's Empress Ballroom. And then I thought, this is insane. We're talking about Northern Soul. I'm sure we love Northern Soul. We're in a Northern Soul ballroom. I'm interested in the human stories of the people involved. What's better than stru- structuring it about a working week? You know. Mm. So that's that's what I've done. Yeah, which is, I mean, having grown up in a small northern town myself. It is. There's a, that, that's you've, that's it. That's that, your life. That, that is it. Yeah, that is it. That was it until going to university. It was that out Friday, Saturday, work Monday, Friday, and there is so much 
In those workplaces, I mean, whether it was in between university years or before I went to college, that I worked in a number of places. My dad's old factory, Damart, warehouse in Bingley and Steeton, um, which was household goods, all sorts, but you hit on a number of threads that I recognised through seeing my dad at work there, which was that people making their job into something that they could do for well, up 30, 40 years, you know, and, and then that weekend social activity, there's something beautiful about that, and then the reporting back on the Monday, you know. Bread and circuses. Right, you've always got to. There's always got to be a little glimmer of hope that you're not just in drudgery, mm-hmm. and they, people understand that. Yeah, that's why. That's why intelligent companies understand. You treat your staff with respect, and you and you try. I was trying to draw out of a lot of people that I interviewed. With I try to sneak it in amongst more boring questions. Are there any kind of rituals you have for like I don't know people get married or. You know, and anything you do for like engagements or you know, and we we found a couple uh, which are amazing. Like, oh, I won't. I, well, actually, I'll tell you one. I was say, okay, you there, there's, share one. there's one uh, <laughs> where I think it was in the wallpaper factory where they've got these big kind of skips on wheels for rubbish and stuff, and they said. Um, uh, at first, not people didn't want to talk about these things because it's like a kind of private mm. thing. I had to kind of, and they were worried about getting into trouble with the bosses, <laughs> really, because the bosses were generally there taking us round. Oh yeah, and the, uh, what's really interesting is there's still this like boss worker thing going on. They said, that, yeah. So the uh, thing is, when somebody's about to get married, their version of like this, the the ritual they did was. Before they got married, the, the guys, they used to uh, basically fill one of these skips up with um, with uh, with water and indigo paint, in uh, water soluble, right? And then they used to basically pick them up and dump them in it. Yeah. So they were basically purple for a couple of days. It's <laughs> pretty cool. That's fantastic. Yeah. And there was another one, I think, it was in Silent Night Factory. They really didn't want to talk about it, but somebody eventually spilled the beans. <laughs> uh, it was like, the, apparently they strap, they strap them to a, some kind of structure. I don't think they're naked or anything, but <laughs> they strap them to a structure and then they basically wheel them around the factory and everybody abuses them. <laughs> chuck stuff at them and stuff. It's really like the stocks, you know. That's fantastic. But moving. Yeah, and how did people feel about the you know about the project you were doing? Oh, they couldn't. Yeah, very I mean, gen- generally they uh, they were very engaged. I think people realise that work isn't a given anymore. Mm-hmm. I think generally people are grateful that they've got a job. Yeah, that's the impression I got. I don't. I don't think they were just saying it just to you know parrot the. The, the company line I think they were genuine I'm not talking about the executives and or the you know the kind of I don't know social media consultants what I'm talking about the people on the floor yeah um, they seemed genuinely appreciative that that they felt appreciated yeah and that they had a function mm. and the stuff that they were making they were very proud of and that you know and there's something that that inside me as well mm-hmm. I, I can feel it you know, it's like whenever we do an installation, for instance, I mean, I can afford to employ people to do the, 
to do the physical installation of the speakers and the and the setting up. But I quite enjoy getting my hands dirty. You know, it's like it it, it it's it, it, there's something about working with your hands is really fantastic. Yeah. And it must be in my DNA. And 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 another thing is, I grew up. I was lucky enough to have a, an apartment in Venice for twenty seven years, and uh, I became obsessed with reading everything I could find about Venice because it's an amazing place. And you know, John Ruskin's famous uh, the 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 architectural critic and you know, had uh, did that famous book called Stones of Venice. And his argument was he loved Venice, but his argument was that the skills of the stonemasons was getting uh, lost and that, that we should be very grateful for the great gothic structures and what I mean all this and of course the other thing is oh modern, modern life's rubbish <laughs> so like all the neo-gothic stuff was shit right so but the point being that his argument was that they that, that the stonemasons who we in today's kind of conceptualization would regard as drudgery to them, it was the core of their being. It was they were as important to the world as a priest was, or a, a or or a you know a prince or a you know a baron or a, you know they everybody had a function. Mm-hmm. This is something that's getting lost a little bit now. The idea of skilled physical work is only really. Uh, it's only really valued when people start their own companies. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? But then it's then we're back to the mechanism of, you know, do as I tell you, and you, you work forty hours a week and take your wage packet and shut up. Well, yeah, and I think people masons used to work on one building their entire life. Yeah. Well, that's commitment and that's focus. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's not being self. It is being self-employed to a certain extent. But the point is, they there was only a limited number of people who had that skill. It didn't have to be stonemasonry; it could be anything. Mm-hmm. And I witnessed quite a lot of that in the in in these factories, and 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 that to me is a source of pride. Yeah, I love the um, sort of the northern. There is something unique about northern towns being from one, and I've spent a lot of time in lots of them. Do you agree? And is this yes. something? Is this something that you found uh, really? Did this add something really important to this project? Well, I'm from the north, so yeah, I. Prefer the north. <laughs> I can't put it any other way. Yeah. I mean, I live in London. I live in a lovely place in Primrose Hill, and I'm not moaning. I just prefer the people from the north of England. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a massive generalisation, but I'm afraid it's two countries. Oh, it's a generosity of spirit that's inbuilt yeah. into generally into northern people. Yeah. And 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 conversely, there's a, and I think a lot of this is reflected in the whole Brexit thing. There's a a a, a fundamental um, misunderstanding about the nature of of the North and Northern people, and not even a willingness to try and understand a lot of the time in the South. And I find that incredibly sad. Oh, it's. Of course it is, because we all lose from that. Yeah. So all this kind of patronising northern powerhouse bullshit, <coughs> which yeah. has been proved to be nonsense. Well, of course it is. It's it's kind of insulting. So, Tony's, how did it feel getting going in there for the first time? Tony's amazing. 
Uh, when, I, when, I, when I walked in there, it was, it was like a dream to me. It was like, I just said, do not touch anything. Yeah, I mean, nothing. Nothing. I don't, you can maybe clean a little bit in the middle of the floor where we're going to have people sitting if you want. But apart from that, I don't want anything touched. If it's not safe, that's another thing. There's a hole in the ceiling and stuff. But I think they're fixing all that. There was no electricity on at the time as well. Um, but I'm saying, you know, when we start the Northern Soul part of the night, I want the, uh, you know, we're going to have the mirror ball coming on. Mm. It's essential. So, uh, uh, anyway, so I just said, yeah, it, it was just a place full of magic. And actually, I've been there twice now, and the second time we went, I'd, I'd, I was so overwhelmed with the actual dance dance floor and that floor. I didn't re- I, I didn't notice there was an, a, another floor upstairs, which is almost as big, but it's not a dance floor. It was where they used to have dance studios. Oh, it's amazing walking through. That was an, again like that's another installation because like what what had been left when they abandoned it was like they got trophies from dance dance competitions and oh, wow. and and, and um, evidence of other activity. And I'm going, this is too great. You know, if they built, I I say, I used to live in Venice for a long time, and every year I've been to the Venice Art Biennale and the and the Architectural Biennale. If they'd reconstructed this place as an installation people go oh, that's genius yeah oh, seriously yeah they would they go oh my god it's so authentic mm-hmm. yeah anyway it's even got the the 70s thing about the um the the art the, the faux art deco fittings and all oh, it's just perfect I love all that shit. beautiful i mean the i saw the images of the you know the price tabs. That yeah, are it's beautiful. Isn't it? Behind the bag, yeah. you just can't. Like as you said, you cannot. You can't manufacture that. You no, can't, no, no. You can't um, reconstruct any no, of that you stuff can't. because it is of a time and it's beautiful. I was always envious that people could Northern Soul dance on rubbish. <laughs> it's a special thing, you know. And they make it look dead easy, don't they? And yeah. You go, I can do that, and then you try it, you go, I can't do that. No, <laughs> no, it's very deceptive. So, um, how did you find the? Crossing that with with the, with the work that you did in the factories and, and the workplaces, because and we, we talked about that cross that central crossover. Um, how did you attack that creatively, you know, infusing the two? Uh, well, we haven't quite finished it yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the, la- the 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 layers of meaning are. So we, we Asa came with me. We recorded the three dimensional sound uh, environments using a special microphone and recording techniques. We blended all those together, so that's interesting enough. There's about 15 minutes worth of that. What what I'm in the middle of doing now is I've I've, uh, I've already selected the best bits of dialogue that were recorded. Um, I asked a whole bunch of workers and bosses, and I don't wait, I don't like bosses and workers. People who work in the factories. I asked them all the same questions, basically. So I could combine their answers into like a stream of consciousness thing. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm just in the in the, uh, the next thing I'm going to be doing is is weaving those into the into the 3D soundscape. Um, I also recorded some binaural um, with binaural microphones in my ears, some some uh, Atmos, but, um, and then. 
then as I said, I've done this Northern Soul mashup, which I'll play you in a, in a minute. Mm. Have you heard it? No, no. I haven't. No. Um, and um, one of the tracks uh, by a guy called one of the Northern Soul tracks by a guy called Luther Ingram. It's called. It's very famous. It's called Excess Trek. Uh, it's an instrumental, and I again I had this kind of light bulb moment. I was just listening to this. I was selecting the tracks I wanted to do in the mashup, and I was going, "That sounds like an instrumental that should have a vocal on it. It sounds like the instrumental of an of a song, mm-hmm. rather than just an instrumental." Yeah, I'll write I'll write some lyrics over it, uh, and 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 make it site specific. For, for the ballroom. Wow. So that's the kind of sting at the end. Yeah. So I'm, I'm singing it. I've just been singing it today. Um, and we're trying to make it sound as authentically like it was recorded at the time using various techniques. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's just it's just the level of, um, you know, emotional investment you seem to put into this. To, you know, the, the care and the, the obvious love of the subject, but also... the appreciation and, and, and all the things we talked about. It's my about. life. I mean, I grew up in this environment, so I can't think of anybody better to do it than me, really. Yeah, well, God, yeah you have to live. And that's something you have to live as well, That what we talked about in the factories and things. Yeah. It's almost insulting if you tried to paint that picture without yeah. taste yeah. of it. I mean, I'm not going to, you know, I wouldn't be any good on Landscape Artist of the Year on Sky 1 or anything. Because <laughs> uh, I've always grown up in the centre of cities and yeah. in an industrial environment. I'm interested in, in how the, the festival itself, the, you know, the festival of making, I, I think it's um, great. A very, at this time in particular, I think creativity is, in my opinion, borderline demonised by people in government. Maybe that's going to get a bit strong, but I just I think that... I don't think they understand it. No, I don't at all. And I think, you know, the, the, the whole removing it from the back, I don't want to go down that tangent too much because I could all, all day long, but... Projects like this, I think, are very important now, particularly in smaller towns that, that, that don't have the spotlight and don't have the opportunities that the bigger cities have. Do you, is there any hope that you know, do you guys hope that this kind of project and the work you're doing can can help to open people's minds? Not open people's minds, but show them the possibilities within their towns. Well, I've done quite a lot of stuff in, in actually supporting exactly what you're saying there, which is uh, I recently did something last year with Scarborough, for instance. Mm. Well, there's that, and there's also um, engendering a sense of pride in the place, in the site-specificness of wherever the thing is, is something very powerful. I mean, we had when we were doing the, the Liverpool, um, the crossing uh, in Liverpool, we had people, we had homeless people come up to us, as well as just general shoppers and what have you. We had very old people and very young people coming up to us and we were only there for like two days in eight weeks saying oh thank you for doing this because it's like really giving us you know it's made me feel proud about my Mm. town and and uh it's brought back some lovely memories and i've done some stuff in the past with alzheimer's sufferers and stuff and the idea of reminiscence is a very powerful tool for um engendering emotional response in in uh, people so that's why it's important not for it not to just be a technical exercise this it's not just like oh come and listen to my genius as an artist it's about 
uh, it's about creating a, a a kind of starting point and a, and a, and a meditative um, milieu for future research and thought. Mm-hmm. That's what that's that's what I I, um, I I I would love people to go away from a bit of fun for twenty minutes and actually then like a couple of days later go I really had some kind of it's made me think different slightly differently about something. Yeah, that's that's what that's the point in everything we do. Big big thank you to Martin Ware for for sharing such a wonderful story, such a passionate man. Um, Heart really in the right place. Big on creativity, big on on uh, socialism and human uh, collaboration, and doing the right things, and, and documenting things, and capturing the life in these places. And I love that waking the ghosts. Really, uh, it spoke to me, and it did something. Go check out the posters I've been putting together for this, by the way, because I really wanted to respond to that comment. And I hope you like what we've done. They're quite abstract. They're quite playful. But that's what this show is all about. So thank you guys. Thanks for listening. I want your feedback. Please get that over at Rest All the Mix on the social media, at Fest of Making, Twitter and Facebook, at The Festival of Making, Instagram. Um, come and give us a follow. Give us a share. Get some review on iTunes for the podcast. Let us know your thoughts. Massive thank you to Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council England for their wonderful support for helping to make this happen. Uh, thank you for all the guys involved. Uh, art in manufacturing. I think it's genius. I really do. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful project. And um, I just couldn't wait to get involved when I was approached for that. So thank you again, as I mentioned before, for the trust in doing that because I do this show out of passion. I know sometimes it's a little rough around the edges. But if nothing else, I hope I'm sharing some stories and some inspiring characters and some journeys and I hope it's doing something and uh, and helping you out. So, you know, like I said before, please drop us a little review on the iTunes if that's the case because I do love doing this thing and I want to keep doing it. So thank you to my regular sponsors, heartinternet.co.uk, illustrationweb.com and a thank you, of course, as ever, to regular show supporters, Real Junk Food Manchester and the brilliant Association of Illustrators. By the way, the Association of Illustrators doing a wonderful uh, campaign on pricing your work at the moment and pricing it properly and, uh, and, and all that good stuff. So go and check it out. Really important for all of us independents. So thank you again to Illustrious and Martin Ware for their great help. And also thank you to Acer from Illustrious for helping me out when I got to the uh, to their studio for being very accommodating, bringing the coffees in. Really, really cool stuff. Um, and I hope, you know, if you're listening to this after the festival, I hope you really enjoyed it. And uh, big hats off because it's an ambitious project and I think it's really important. And in a town like Blackburn, it's really awesome to see that local industry and creativity being celebrated and showcased uh, to the world. So I hope you made the effort to get there uh, and, and I hope you love it. And uh, if you're listening to this before the festival, get your ass there. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. Um, Not much else to say, to be honest. Uh, Thank you for listening, and I'll see you all very, very soon. Take care. Nice one, guys. (laughs) 